Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids, and Omari Sankofa II, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Omari, my guy, we're jumping right into this episode because we had a ton of great submissions for the mailbag, and I wanted to start off with this one. From a good friend, Sham, Pistons Sham, not NBA Sham, what top 10 NBA draft prospect in this class does Omari Sankofa's game most resemble? Ooh, which prospect does my game most resemble? I feel like this is a question for you since you are the division one hooper between the two of us. Uh, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to go straight and sharp because I can like Ooh. project it, you know. <laughs> you got that athleticism? You got the, you got the bunnies? Yeah, you know, the, 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 the 49-inch vert. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh... I'm sure you saw on Twitter, I put out the video of me getting shots up the other day. I, I do that. People like start talking enough that my competitive side comes out. So I threw that out there um, also because of this question coming up. So I'm just going to be super arrogant and let my ego come out. And I'm just going <laughs> to say, I'm just going to say Jabari Smith Jr. Without the defense though, without the defense, I, I did not play defense. And the funny thing is, Omari, I went and looked up my college stats this morning as we were preparing for this and my numbers definitely don't back that up. So if you, if you look up my college stats, they are not Jabari Smith Jr. S other than I did shoot a better three point percentage than two point percentage. Yeah. Well, I mean, I saw that video and I, I like, I don't think you missed. And then when we saw the, the counter, saw you get like 85% of your, your threes. So I think you could go uh, Matt Theron. I think you could go Jabari Smith. I mean, I think any of those guys for like pretty safe com- comparisons. Maybe A.J. Griffin Jr. Maybe that's the better one. Um, Maybe A.J. Griffin Jr. Yeah, all those guys, uh, way more athletic and way better basketball players than I ever even thought of being. Um, So, all right, let's get into this one because this is going to be a fun episode. We got a ton of submissions. We're not going to be able to get to all of them, guys. But thank you so much for everybody that submitted these offseason plans and the mailbag questions. We'll get to actual mailbag questions in segment three. Wes is going to lead us through this. I wanted to give a quick shout out to our guy, Kyle Metz, at Kyle Metz, M-E-T-Z 23, on Twitter for vetting all of these with the cap rules and the trade rules and all that stuff. And we'll touch on some of that stuff as we go through it. Wes is going to outline each plan, and then he's going to tell either Omari or I to take the positive or the negative side. So each of us is going to kind of have a role to play here. We're either going to build it up and boost it as a positive or a negative on each one of these plans. So don't take it personal if Omari's crushing your plan. That's that's what he's supposed to do as we go through this. So it should be a lot of fun. Wes, we got a ton of these to get to, so let's just get right to it. All right, we'll jump right in. So uh, the first one's from Christian. Uh, so the first part of his plan, they're going to draft Chet at five. He fell. Uh, then they're going to go ahead and trade Jeremy Grant to the Blazers for number seven and draft Sohan. Uh, they're going to sign Gary Harris and Mo Bamba and then trade Kelly Olenek for a young prospect, some kind of flyer. So, you know, maybe uh, Terrell Terry, uh, James Booknight, things like that. So, Omari, you're going to be the negative. Uh, Bryce, you go first. Yes. Yeah, so Chet falling to five. And I know why Wes put me on the positive on this one, because now I got to boost our your guys' guy, Chet. Chet and Stu as a front court tandem and pair is really kind of intriguing. You got Chet's rim protection. You got Stu's switchability. You may be enough floor spacing there with the way Chet can shoot the ball. And if Stu comes around, Jeremy Sohan at seven is an intriguing prospect. That might be a little bit high, but he's a really good defender, versatile player. 
And then Gary Harris, a veteran presence to add to this roster. So you have a starting lineup of Cade, Gary Harris, Bay, Chet, and Stu. And then you still got some pretty good players coming off the bench with Killian Hayes, Hami, Sohan, Marvin Bagley the third. So I think that's a really, really intriguing offseason for the Pistons with obviously the cream of the crop being there, Chet falling to five. I, I, I'm not that crazy about Sohan. Uh, at number seven, I think, you know, if you're at number seven and you still have guys on the board like uh, Matherin or uh, whoever it, it may be, honestly, uh, A.J. Griffin, Shane and Sharp, uh, those guys to me are a little bit more projectable to the NBA given that, you know, they're all 3 and D guys of, of, of different sorts. Uh, like, And I like Sohan a lot as a, a player. I really do. It's just it, like it just seems like he has a good chance of just being like a like there are always those af- athletic kind of like big wings who can defend multiple guys, but then they don't develop anything else. And with Sohan, people kind of compare him to like Ben Simmons almost, but uh, he's not. I don't like I don't, just don't think he's that playmaker type guy, and I kind of struggle to see what lineups you can play him in. Also, I'm not a fan of trading Olenek for a flyer uh, like Tyrell Terry, uh, Jared Culver, Keon Johnson, Romeo Langford. I don't think any of these guys are. NBA caliber uh, players, you know, if you could get book night, then, you know, not like then do it. But, you know, given how, how, how young he is, it's just kind of hard to see the upside from Charlotte's standpoint for why they would uh, give up on them so, so early. No, no, no. You got to You got to make the negative side for Chet at number five. Like, well, you just, well I was beating around the, the, the bush because I was I trying to formulate tell. an I argument. <laughs> uh, if, if, if Chet falls to, to, to five, that probably means that there are some, some, some red flags in his, workouts so you know in 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 this draft i don't know who you else you take a five of chess there where you can pat yourself one the back uh but i'm just gonna say if he falls that that far you probably have to at least consider well something must have popped up in his workouts or his medicals or something that's making teams go okay like why are we passing on the guy that blacked eight shots a game and shot like 40 percent from three so that's my negative on chet <laughs> you maybe go back to it <laughs> but Real quick before we let Wes bring in the second one, do you think Chet is most likely of these three guys to fall? I, I think it's between him and Paolo. I don't think Jabari Smith Jr. is going to be a guy to fall outside the top three. Would you think it's more likely that it's Paolo or Chet that falls if one of them does? That's, I mean, that's tough. I could see either of them, obviously. Uh, honestly, I would probably lean toward I, – like, I, I would lean toward, toward Chet being the one that falls just because I know that their teams are – you know, you just kind of talk to folks and some people really are kind of worried about him weighing 190 pounds. So uh, on the other hand, you know, there are teams that also are extremely high on him and he probably has more variance than Bancaro, where I think he's probably a little bit more. We feel pretty good about him being good, but will he be great? But maybe that floor is a little bit higher. So, yeah, I, I think Chad has a little bit more variance for sure. Yeah, I think it's Chet as well. I don't think it's going to happen still, but I mean, I even heard Rafael Barlow say the other day that Chet looked skinnier in person when he saw him than even on on film. So maybe scouts are seeing him in workouts. Maybe he gets pushed around a little bit. Maybe some medical stuff comes. I'm not saying any of this stuff is going to happen. I just, I do think he's probably the one. Jabari almost seems like the most safe pick to stay somewhere in the top three. But, you know, I think I could see Paulo falling as well, and I know we'll get to that later. Wes, let's go ahead and introduce offseason plan number two. Okay, so the next one's from Bryce Hendricks. Uh, he's going to draft A.J. Griffin at five, then trading Grant again to the Portland Trailblazers for number seven. But he's going to take Duran there. His plan, he's going to let uh, Marvin Bagley the third walk in free agency, just renounce him and let him go, and then sign Lonnie Walker, Malik Monk, C.J. Ellaby, and Yuta Watanabe, and then uh, potentially take a bad contract for a, a future first as well. Yeah, I would say that AJ, uh, AJ Griffin and then taking Jalen at number seven, you're trading Jeremy Grant. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jalen Duran, he's a super high upside uh, center, obviously, one of the youngest guys at the draft, not the youngest, 18 years old. I think you can watch the finals and you see like what Robert Williams is doing. And uh, those types of centers are still extremely valuable in the NBA and they're not easy to find. Uh, like I know we talk a lot about centers not being as valuable in today's NBA, but good centers that can, you know, protect the room and move rebound will always be valuable. Um, and I think just during like how, how young he is, people talk about his playmaking upside and whatnot. He checks a lot of boxes that I think Trey, Trey Weaver likes in uh, Big Man. And I think the combination of that and then letting Marvin Bagley the third walk makes a lot of sense because 
Theron's given you a lot of what Marvin gives you. Maybe not the same type of like shot creation inside, but uh, as far as just being like an athletic lob threat, uh, he's a much better defender. Uh, like I think that makes sense. You probably can't. You probably can't play all of Duran, Isaiah Stewart, and Marvin Bagley. Like it's definitely just two of those guys, and I think you can see Isaiah Stewart and Duran working out if Isaiah's a, a, a three point shooter next season, which uh, I do think he'll be taking more of them next year. AJ Griffin at five is an upside play. Like I gotta, like I gotta <laughs> just be very transparent about that one. That is an upside play. That's looking at you know his three point shooting last season and uh, the body and athleticism and gambling that you know this guy maybe can become like a Harrison Barnes uh, you know type of player. You know we talked about AJ Griffin on the spot, but I'm being the positive guy. So you know like clearly he came in, he crushed his workout. You know he shot 100 percent from three, 100 percent at the line. I love how Amari is. He, he's cheating the game, Wes. You got to call him up here. He's saying yeah. if the workout does this or if the workout does that. Because that's because that's why AJ Griffin would go five over guys like Matthew and Keegan Murray. That's you know that's clearly he had the the, the greatest workout of all time, right? Fair, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But, uh, but but the rest of this is cool. Like Lake Monk had a great season with the Lakers last season. Uh, CJ Ellaby is more of an upside play. Yuta, uh, like I like Yuta. You know, just as a guy who can. Um, you know, he's just versatile, uh, you know, for the, the money you get him out there. I think that's all fair. And then taking a bad contract back for 2023, uh, another first in the draft that's supposed to be pretty good, at least at the uh, top. And then that's just more of an acknowledgement of we didn't want to overpay any of the guys in this class, like, you know, Sexton or, you know, whoever it may be. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's extremely logical for sure. Yeah, and that's what Keith Smith talked about with us last episode, right? Like, don't overpay. If you miss on these guys, don't start overpaying for people. I'm just going to – Bryce is my guy. I I work with him. I know him. He's a good friend. A.J. Griffin at five, no way. No chance unless I'm going to do what Amari did. If he crushes a workout, I don't care if he shoots 100% from three. I want him, like, windmill dunking, like, all sorts of crazy stuff because I want to know the athleticism is back. That's the only way I'm taking A.J. Griffin at five. And there's a lot of guys at five. I'm going to be fine if the Pistons take. If it's A.J. Griffin, I'm going to have questions. The shooting is real. The on-ball defense is really bad. Okay, Jalen Duran at seven, young guy. I do like him, but there's a lot. Like, you could essentially miss on those two picks, Amari. Like, that's a real swing for the fences draft at five and seven. And so that's where, even if I'm not playing this role as negative, I would have some legit questions about it. I want to see Marvin Bagley the third come back, so I don't necessarily love letting him walk, especially when you have the cap space. I've had this conversation actually personally with Bryce, so I know he's not a huge fan. The rest of it, I actually don't mind. I don't mind taking back a bad contract if you don't spend big in free agency. I don't even mind the guys that he signed. I've talked about Malik Monk before. I don't mind Lonnie Walker. So I don't mind the free agency way. But I do not like that draft at five and seven whatsoever. So sorry, Bryce, um, but that is that is not a favorite five and seven draft for the Pistons for me. Yeah, well, I hope I hope when I took the positive and I conveyed I, I conveyed positively enough because uh, you know I think the me deep down was like you AJ Griffin at five. Bro, that's a tough one. <laughs> that's a tough one. <laughs> I can see the look on your face. You're like, man, how am I going to swing this one? All right, number three, Wes. Number three. All right, uh, number three. So this one we actually got from two people, uh, Kyle Metz, who helped us out making sure all these were legal, and then Jack Kelly as well. So they're going to draft uh, Keegan Murray at number five. Trade Grant for number seven again and draft Jaden Sharp at number seven. Then they're going to go ahead and sign Gary Harris uh, to a smaller deal, re-sign Marvin Bagley, and then sign Aiton to a uh, max deal for Kelly Olynyk in this year's second-round pick. So, Omari, you're going to be negative. Bryce, you're the positive. Uh, Bryce, you go ahead and go first. Yeah, so Keegan Murray at number five is, I think that's a solid pick. And I think he's going to be a good NBA player. Maybe the ceiling's not huge, but he can probably come in and replace Jeremy Grant, who's getting traded in this scenario. And then you take the high upside guy and Shaden Sharp at seven. So you kind of get that mix of a guy who you think is a not sure thing. Nobody's a sure thing, but a guy that's going to be a good NBA player. And then Shaden Sharp. And then what I also like is you have now sign Gary Harris, who maybe can start while you bring Shaden Sharp along. So he doesn't have the pressure to go right into the starting lineup. I know a lot of fans may not like that, 
But if we do take Shaden Sharp in the upcoming draft, I don't know that he's a big-time player in year one. Again, I like the idea of bringing Marvin Bagley the third back. And then if you can get DeAndre Ayton on a max for only Kelly Olenek in number 46 – then I think that's a pretty good deal for DeAndre Ayton. I know we're going to talk about Ayton more and more throughout the episode and what we think about him. I think he's a max player. Where I start to have questions is what you have to give up to get him. If it's KO and number 46, then I'm probably on board with that. And I can't wait. I cannot wait to see how Omari spins the negative side of drafting Keegan Murray at number five. Yeah, this is going to be like the chat one where I start from the bottom and work my way to the top. Uh yeah, so Aiden, I mean, eight, I mean, okay, Kelly Olenek at 46 for DeAndre Aiden is a steal. Uh, obviously, like, clearly something broke down in the negotiation for Phoenix where they couldn't get a player better than Kelly Olenek or a draft pick better than, than 46. So, you know, I'm not really sure I can spend that one negatively. Uh, I would just say getting Aiden on a max deal is gambling a little bit on his upside to an extent because there's probably, like, five six centers in the nba now who are worth max deals if that and like i think eight in this sort of on the cusp of that but uh realistically you know is he you know a top three offensive option on a, a championship team like maybe three uh but i think the piss is paying max money for that now is a gamble for sure uh just because you're uh putting a lot of investment you know into a position where if you put a guy 80 percent as eight in there 80% as good as eight in there and maybe like half the money, like, cause that gets you to the same point. If you can reinvest that, that cap space elsewhere and flesh out some more of the roster, just given that the Pistons are not uh, very deep at all right now. So, you know, eight on, on the max deal. Uh, I'm not sure about that one. Uh, Murray, Murray at five and then Grant uh, for number seven and, and, and drafting shade and sharp, you know, like there's only so many combination of guys you could, you, you could take with those two picks and, <laughs> You know, both of those guys are good. Uh, I, like, the only ne- negative I can see is that, you know, Sharp just doesn't work out at all. At number seven, you know, he's a five-star guy, and he's athletic, can shoot, all this stuff. But, uh, you know, like a guy like a Benedict Matherin or uh, anyone else in that spot ends up having a, a, a better career. So maybe you go uh, a little bit safer, just in a, a different direction there. But, yeah, I mean, but that's like rock rock, rock solid, right? Like you have a guy in Keegan who you feel pretty good about becoming good, and then you have an upside playing Shane and Sharp. You're uh, supposed to be the negative side. Stop stop boosting Keegan. Tear okay. his game apart, Amari. All right. All right. Keegan Murray sucks. Shane and Sharp sucks. <laughs> uh, now that those guys are NBA players. Uh, Gary Harris, two for 20. I hate Michigan State, so uh, <laughs> I'm out of Gary Harris. That's my negative take. <laughs> All right, Wes, let's get one more in here before the break. So this one's coming from Steve P. He's going to go ahead and draft Murray again at five, uh, then sign Sexton to a uh, deal just outright. Uh, Jeremy Grant for a deal as well, but this is a sign and trade. So you're going to have Torrey Craig coming back in that sign and trade uh, with DeAndre Ayton. Uh, he's going to re-sign Marvin Bagley. Hamadou Diallo is going to stay, but they're going to have to get rid of Frank Jackson for the cap space and then as well send out uh, Kelly Olynyk for cap space in the, in the trade as well. So, We've got Bryce on the negative side. Omari, you go first. Yeah, I mean, taking Keegan Murray at num- number five. Um, you know, I mean, they're high on Keegan Murray. He's a really good player. You look at the efficiency last season, just everything he did. And uh, he's got an extremely high floor. And I mean, I've just said it on the pot a lot. I think just taking a guy you know can play at number five makes a lot of sense. Because uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of times you look back on rebuilds and, uh, you know, like guys don't work out. You know, the guys I could play end up outlasting a lot of guys. A uh, Sexton 45, I think that's like the, the sweet spot for a contract for him. Like that's like 21.5 million a year, uh, which I think is really good for uh, a point guard who gives you buckets and not a whole lot else. Uh, you could kind of put him next to, you know, Cade. And, um, you know, is kind of filling out that backcourt a lot, obviously. Uh, so that's a good deal for, for Sexton. Eight and max deal. Yeah, you know, if that's what it takes to, to get eight and you got to do it, but you know that he's your center, uh, you know, for the, the time being. It's only like 23 years old. Uh, obviously very good, good defender, great touch around the rim. Uh, you know, and if the Pistons can expand his game a little bit, let him shoot long long twos or threes or whatnot, you know, obviously that makes that a lot better. So you're signing and training Jeremy Grant to Phoenix. Uh, you're also getting Tory Craig back. Uh, you know, just fleshes out your 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 wing depth a little bit. Nothing wrong with that. 
Uh, Bagley 215, I think that's a really healthy deal for him. Got to let Frank Jackson walk for cap space. Uh, you know, like I know I know a lot of fans like Frank, but he did shoot the ball uh, really not that well last season. So, you know, if you're partying with a guy, I think that just makes sense given that, you know, he's an undersized too and didn't shoot very well. So, yeah, Olenek out for a second round pick for cap space. And then, yeah, I mean, I think that's all cool. Like if you get eight in on the max deal, Sexton 45, I think getting Sexton on a good deal kind of blunts you know, getting eight and on the max a little bit, like that makes it a little bit easier to digest. And yeah, that all seems like a very reasonable offseason to me. So lots of positives. Yeah, like if I wanted to pick it apart, I would just say like, is this a core? Because I think you've kind of gone all in. You're, you got Sexton for four years, Aiton for four or five years. You made your selection with Murray at five. What's the upside? What's the ceiling of this roster? So essentially your starting lineup is going to be Cade Cunningham, Sexton, Bay, Murray, and Aiton. And, you know, if what if Sexton isn't that big time score? What if Murray doesn't hit a, a ceiling that some people, you know, like Amari thinks that, that he can? And then DeAndre Ayton, is he a guy that has another step in his game? What if he doesn't? So I know that's a lot of what ifs. In general, I actually don't hate the, the, the outline of it. And I would have to see like the cap situation moving forward. What are the avenues for this team to continue to get better? Because I'm not sure that's a championship core, but I feel like that you're kind of locked into that core and then you're banking on major growth from either Sadiq Bey, Keegan Murray again hits his highest ceiling, DeAndre Ayton makes a huge step, something like that. So that would be my like downside, I guess, to that offseason is what is the ultimate ceiling? Is it a championship ceiling? Because it kind of seems like you've gone all in with that core of guys. Okay, guys, uh, we're going to take a quick break, so stay with us. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get one more DeAndre Ayton sign and trade in, and then we're going to go through the rest of the submissions for these off-seasons as well. I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email? Me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great All right, guys, we're back from the break here. Wes is going to introduce one more. Jeremy Grant for DeAndre Ayton sign and trade. Obviously, there has to be other tertiary pieces to make that work. And this is going to be a really fun one from Hal because there's another one of the top prospects that slides to the Pistons at five. Yep. So like you alluded to there, so this is from Hal and uh, we were talking about Paolo before. So now he's going to drop down to five and the Pistons are going to snag him there. Uh, Jeremy Grant, again, for eight and sign and trade, you're going to get Craig back to make the salaries work there. Uh, He's going to go ahead and trade Corey Joseph away for a second round pick, decline both Hami and Frank's team options for the cap space, and then sign Tyus Jones and Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, Bryce, you're going to be the negative. So Amara, you go ahead. Apollo slides to five. I mean, that's obviously a big win for the Pistons. Uh, you get a player who, you know, slides in pretty easily as your your, your power forward. And, of course, that makes um, Jeremy Grant expendable. So you sign to trade him for Aiton. Uh, again, you get Torrey Craig back. Uh, I wish Torrey Craig were a, a, a better shooter. Uh, you know, this team really does, doesn't need another below-average shooting wing. But, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Corey Joseph traded for a second-round pick. Uh, yeah, like I think this is all a very rational offseason. Obviously, Ben Carroll sliding to five, I think, just kind of defines your offseason here. Like even with the sign and trade for Aiton, uh, just with Aiton being more of a known commodity, uh, and Paolo potentially being the guy who becomes like that number one or number two next to Kate, uh, I think that's really big upside. I mean, he's a, a Kate's a big playmaker. <laughs> Paolo is a jumbo playmaker. Yeah, I mean, at, at five, that's just fantastic value for that pick. Uh, then they signed Tyus Jones. Uh, I was actually covering the Grizzlies when they first signed uh, Tyus Jones, so I covered that first season there. And he's just a point guard's point guard. Um, like, he takes care of the ball. Like, he has one of the lowest turnover rates in the entire league. Uh, he shot the ball really well this past season. Um, as far as backups, I mean, like, I think that's an uh, upgrade for the, the Pistons, and he could start in uh, behind Cade pretty easily there. Uh, or even if you want to start him uh, next next to Cade, I think either way you're in pretty good good shape. 
Uh, you decline Hami and Frank, uh, which does hurt your death a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I, I, again, I think if you're looking long term, uh, you know, you're probably putting your, your eggs in the right baskets here. And then you sign Dante DiVincenzo, who's become one of the better 3 and D guys in the league. So, again, like whatever you would potentially get from Hami or Frank, I think DiVincenzo gives you that plus more, except the athletic ducks from Hami. But, you know, in the grand scheme, I think you could probably live with that. So, yeah, I mean, a, a lot to like here. Your starting lineup is Tyus Jones, Cade Cunningham, Sadiq Bay, uh, Bancaro, and Aiton, uh, which is uh, definitely the best Pistons starting five in a few seasons. And then you have Killian, Dante, Torrey Craig, KO, and Isaiah coming off the bench. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is a very clean, very rational offseason. Yeah, and just for the listeners, one reason we always include Torrey Craig is it's just the easiest way to make the sign and trade for Jeremy Grant and DeAndre Ayton to work. There there are other ways to do it. Um, We don't want to necessarily have to get into the weeds of that on this episode, but that's why you keep hearing Torrey Craig in these sign and trades. So if I have to be negative, what I'm going to say is the defense. I think that could be a potentially really bad defensive starting lineup with Jones, Cade, Bay, Paolo, and DeAndre Ayton. I have a breakdown on the YouTube channel coming for DeAndre Ayton. I dove into the film, but I don't think he's just like an elite rim protector. He's pretty good in drop coverage. Can he do any other ball screen coverages? I don't know. Can he be switchable? Paolo, there's definitely questions about his defense. I've outlined questions about Sadiq Bey, especially perimeter defense. How are those guys on the perimeter going to get through ball screens when DeAndre Ayton is always in drop coverage? So if I wanted to pick this apart or nitpick it, I would say, where's the defensive versatility? How good is that defensive lineup going to be, especially in the starting lineup? Now, my own counter would be you have Killian, you have Dante, you have Isaiah Stewart to go in there whenever you need defense. And as you said, Paolo Bancaro at number five obviously kind of crushes this offseason, especially if you include a talent like DeAndre Ayton. But that would be the most notable negative for me is I think you could have some defensive questions with that lineup. Let's keep moving it along here. So we're going to move into some non DeAndre Ayton, non-Jeremy Grant for number seven trades. And I think we're starting off with a couple of trades that actually send Jeremy to the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, we are. And so we got two that are really similar. Each each of them are basically the same, but you're switching out the players here and there. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have Bryce, you take the positive side on Jake's submission. And uh, Omara, you're going to take the positive side on Ryan's submission. And I'm going to have both of you guys kind of go through what each of those were and then make the case for both sides. So go ahead. Right, yeah, so they're uh, drafting Keegan Murray at five. Uh, yeah, Jeremy for uh, Bogdan and, and, and 16. They take Malachi Branham, so that's a Hawks trade. Uh, you signed Mitchell Robinson, uh, who has become the people's champ of Pistons Twitter for some reason. Uh, you signed Gary Harris, and then you re-signed Marvin Bagley. Uh, so that gives you K, Bogdanovic, uh, Bay Murray, and then Mitchell Robinson as your starting lineup uh, with Isaiah coming off of the bench. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, Keegan Murray at five, I think is a very rational pick. Uh, that Jeremy for Bogdan and then number 16. Uh, I actually did a uh, sort of a, a trade column last week where I looked at potential Jeremy Grant deals. And I think just from a pure uh, value standpoint, that's probably on the higher end of what you could realistically get back. That's a really good package for the Pistons. Uh, that. Atlanta pick, I mean, you're in the middle of the first round, uh, you know, which is a good place to be. Uh, you know, that, of course, I was Isaiah Stewart two years ago. And, uh, you know, I think Troy's shown that he could kind of find value late in the first round. They have their big board. You know, there would be guys that they're high on who will certainly fall to 16. Um, and you take Branham there. Uh, you know, I think I, I think he's a little bit more of an upside play and a uh, project. You know, so I think if you're looking long term, uh, we want a guy who could potentially develop into that wing next to you know Cade and maybe this guy could become an above average type of guy I think I think Branham uh, checks a lot of boxes there and he's still pretty young uh you know he's a guy that probably could have saw stock rise a lot if he had come back uh to to, to college uh you know but of course he declared this season and uh you know whatever team takes him we have to feel pretty good about his upside but yeah I mean he shot like 42 percent from three last year uh he's definitely a guy if you're drafting in the middle of the first round uh, he checks a, a lot of boxes from an upside standpoint. Yeah, Mitchell Robinson, Gary Harris, I mean, both pr- productive role players who f- feel needs. So you bring Marvin Bagley back. So, 
yeah, I mean, there's a lot to like there. You know, I think that the Hawks trade. Uh, and then Bogdan, of course, also just being a, a very above average two guard uh, who can kind of hold the fort down until maybe Branham becomes something uh, two years down the line. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's all very rational and there's a lot to like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I like both of these. Um, the interesting with the one you had was, like, who do you end up starting? Branham's probably not ready, like you said, just a freshman coming out of Ohio State, late bloomer this past season. But you have Bogdanovich. So, like, with Gary Harris actually signed with the Pistons to probably come off the bench in this scenario. So that, that would be interesting there. And that comes into play in mine as well. So I have Benedict Matherin. Finally, how many minutes into this episode are we? Like 30 <laughs> minutes in and we get to talk about my guy, Benedict Matherin at number five, which you guys know I'm all in on. Unless Jaden Ivey falls to number five, we'll talk about Jaden Ivey a little bit later. Then Jeremy Grant, same trade, Bogdanovich in 16, except they draft Tari Eason. They sign Hartenstein instead of Mitchell Robinson. They sign Tyus Jones instead of Gary Harris. And then they actually let Marvin Bagley III walk. This is from Jake Barron. So as you guys know, I love Benedict Matherin. I've kind of accidentally started the Benedict Matherin to Detroit hype train. And I'll keep leading that up into the 23rd of June. Tari Eason is a high upside guy. Um, I finished a breakdown on him not too long ago. Definitely intriguing prospect. I could get into the negatives if I needed to, but I'll keep it positive. Upside guy, defensive versatility, can get to the rim offensively and isolation, attacking closeouts. The shot, I think, will be good enough in catch-and-shoot situations. Hartenstein is a nice little pickup in free agency as a big. And then Tyus Jones, who we've talked about. Again, I think the interesting thing is, I think you would almost have to bring Tyus Jones off the bench in this scenario and even Tari Eason, which is probably good for Tari Eason, but is Tyus Jones coming to Detroit to come off the bench? Like if he's going to come off the bench, he'd just stay in Memphis, don't you think, Kamari? Like I think as we get through some of these Gary Harris, Tyus Jones, some of these guys, are they going to come to Detroit in free agency to come off the bench? I think they would want bigger roles if we're going to actually bring them to play for the Pistons. Yeah, I mean, if you're the the Pistons, you have Kate, you have Killian, you know, maybe you're, you know, giving Killian, you know, more more time another season to kind of get his feet wet and fill fill things out. Uh, yeah, from Tyus Jones's standpoint, it's tough to see why you would compete with Kate and Killian for minutes, uh, and also why the Pistons would you know invest money into Tyus you know, when you still have Kate and Killian in, in that backcourt, and you probably can't give Tyus more than you know twenty four minutes a night like tops. Uh, probably. So from Tyson's standpoint, I'm looking at it and it's like, okay, I can go to a rebuilding situation in Detroit where I can just stay here in Memphis where, you know, we just won like 56 games or whatever they won last year. Uh, he's probably staying in uh, Memphis. But Tyree Easton is a guy I like a lot. Uh, you know, this draft range seems like it's anywhere from like, you know, like maybe the high end eight to like, you know, as low as 16 maybe. But uh, you kind of look at his stats and he's actually seems like things kind of break right for him. He will be Jeremy Grant. Like he gets to the line a lot. You know, he shoots pretty well. Could be even better defensively. Like he's averaged like a combined three blocks and steals. So he's got very active hands. Like I think if you get that 16th pick and then you grab him, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Like I think he's a guy where you kind of look back and like just guys like him are going to be productive NBA players. It's just, you know, it's productive in the sense of like this guy's star potential or just you can bring him off the bench and, you know, he can run the open floor and knock down threes, uh, you know, defend pretty well, which still kind of sounds like a starter to me <laughs> in the NBA if you can do all those things. But I think Tyra Eason is really good. So I actually like uh, – I think I actually like your scenario a little bit more than mine, uh, Bryce, uh, just because uh, I just think you're getting more bang for your buck. I mean, Matt Ritter at five, we both like him, obviously. Yeah, no, there's a lot to like there. Yeah, and I think Tari Eason at 16 is really good. I do have some questions. I, I know these are like buzzwords, but about the motor and the basketball IQ, but you, you never know their college situations. LSU was kind of crazy with Will Wade and all that stuff. So, all right, let's get to one more Jeremy Grant trade, and then we have a few that don't involve Jeremy Grant getting traded that we can get through a little bit quicker. But I, I do like this one because it's been talked about a little bit more recently. And so, Wes, introduce this one for us. Yeah, Bryce, so this uh, trade was a little bit different. This is from Derek Brooks. Uh, so he's going to draft Murray again at five, but then he's going to go ahead and trade Jeremy Grant to Cleveland uh, for Karis LeVert at number 14, where he's going to draft uh, Jaden Hardy. So uh, then he's going to go ahead and re-sign Marvin Bagley and then sign Mo Bamba. So pretty simple, but uh, Bryce, you're going to be the negative, and Omara, you go ahead and go first. Sure. Um, yeah, so Murray at five. We've talked about that. Uh, this Cleveland trade is interesting to get Karis to divert yeah. at 14. 
because I think I see the upside for like both teams there. Like if you're Cleveland, you're getting, you know, like probably the, the better player in that deal. And then if you're the Pistons, I mean, the Vert's still a productive player, uh, you know, kind of bounced back last season after the health scare he had. And uh, which he shot the ball a little bit better. But then you get uh, the 14th pick, which I think is a real upside there for the, the Pistons. And uh, to use that pick on Hardy, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm not sure if that's what I would do with it. But I do see the vision, you know, just given that he came into the season as a potential top five guy. You know, like that G League adjustment is probably a little bit tougher to make in some ways than uh, just going to college. Uh, but Hardy does a lot of things that, you know, the, the Pistons could kind of use in a uh, two playing next to K, you know, just given that he's a really, really, really good ball handler, uh, you know, can get to the rim. Uh, he really didn't shoot the ball well at all. I'm looking at his numbers now. He shot 27% for three. And I think that's probably the thing that kind of uh, scares you the most with him because uh, just an off ball two uh, who doesn't shoot well but needs the ball to be effective is – uh, not a, a good recipe for being a uh, winning M- NBA player, obviously. Uh, but again, like you know, I think it's a situation where you know if he's going at fourteen, the team probably feels pretty good about his workouts and his his upside. And because he handles the ball so well, like that gives him upside as like a secondary like playmaker as well. Uh, so that's very much an upside play. But at fourteen, I think you know it makes a lot of sense to just get a guy in. Like it's the same thing as the the Branham argument. Just get a, a guy in that. Uh, you know, a few years then, maybe he starts to kind of show that potential he showed. You know, but I'd, I'd like that trade for the Pistons. Like, I think that, like, like Grant trade does make sense. Like, if you get Levert in 14, like, maybe that's better than Bogdan in, in 16, depending on how you value Bogdan and Levert. So, yeah, for the Pistons, that's a good trade, and I don't have a lot of negatives there. Yeah, so I actually like this offseason, but if I have to go negative, I think you're – have an opportunity to essentially strike out on this offseason. Again, Keegan Murray, we don't need to continue to talk about him, but Levert, I believe, would be on the last year of his deal. So, like, is he going to be a long-term play? He's a little older than what people think. Like, if you don't think Jeremy Grant's a part of the timeline of the Pistons, I don't know that you're going to think Karis Levert is. What are you going to do with him? Jaden Hardy, who I actually do like. I know a lot of people won't like that, but there's a world where it doesn't pan out in the NBA if the shooting, which did get better, but if it doesn't hit, the defense was really, really bad in the G League. Mo Bamba, again, doesn't hit, hit. So I think you're like betting on some high upside guys with some of these moves, but what if none of them hit? Then you essentially had a wasted offseason. I don't think in this scenario you're really tying up cap space, which is probably okay. But that would be my negative is, you know, you may end up not getting a whole lot of quality NBA guys that, that fit into this rotation in this roster long term. If, if, if I had to go negative, that's where I would go with it. In general, I actually wouldn't hate this offseason, though. All right, Wes, we have one more just outlined from Coach Graham. And then we're going to do a couple just general thoughts and themes for the offseason before we get to the mailbag in segment three. So give us this last one full offseason breakdown. Yep. And like you said, this is from that uh, Coach Graham, and it's got a lot of moving parts. So I'm going to try and get through it coherently. But uh, at number five, you're going to go ahead and draft Ben Matherin. At 46, someone I've actually never heard of, uh, Khalifa Diop. Uh, they're going to renounce all of the options and qualifying offers. So Marvin Bagley, Hamadou Diallo, Frank Jackson, uh, Luca Garza, and Carson Edwards. They're going to make a sign and trade for DeAndre Ayton, centering on Ayton, Sarich, and Craig, and Jeremy Grant and Kelly Olynyk. Get rid of Corey Joseph for a second-round pick. Sign Tyus Jones. Actually bring back Marvin Bagley. And then sign Hartenstein as well. So, Amari, you're going to be the negative. Uh, Bryce, you're the positive. And as long as you guys got all that, Bryce, go first. Yeah, so obviously Ben Math again at number five. I love – I really like the idea of signing Hartenstein – Again, especially at two years and six million is what Coach Graham threw out there for a number. So if you can get him at that, I would love that. I think you get some really good players. Tyus Jones, we've talked about him. You bring in DeAndre Ayton. So I do think it's a good offseason in that way. You could run out a starting lineup of Jones, Cade, Bay, probably Marvin Bagley the third and Ayton, maybe Stu and Ayton, depending on 
who you think fits best. That would actually allow Benedict Matherin to come off the bench. That would be a really nice second unit with him and Killian Hayes just hounding people defensively. I think they fit well together. Of course, you could start Ben Math next to Cade and bring Jones off the bench. I don't know that that makes as much sense. So I like this offseason. I do think the one thing, I know I'm not supposed to be the negative guy, is money-wise, you kind of put yourself in a tough, tough cap space situation. And I don't necessarily love how the bench unit is playing out because I do believe you've lost Hami and Frank, KO, all of those guys in this scenario. So I, I do think Amari has a little bit to pick apart here. Yeah, I think uh main thing for me is, you know, like you're investing money in guys, but this does kind of hurt your 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 death uh, to an extent. Um, I, I think if you're renouncing all of those guys, like at the very least, you at least want some combination of Bagley or Hami or like Frank back, uh, just from a, a, a death standpoint. I'm actually I'm not very familiar with Khalifa Diop. Uh, you know, he seems like a guy who may be a little bit more of a, a upside play, uh, but he has a, a, a center, and I think it makes sense to go for center um, in the second round. Uh, but I don't know a lot about him. I gotta admit. Uh, but yeah, Isaiah Hartenstein, you, uh, yeah, Marvin Bagley, uh, you, you bring him back three thirty. Uh, which is probably the high end of what you would want a, a Bagley deal to be. But yeah, you, you're signing training for A.N., Sarek, and Craig, for Jeremy, K.O., and then our guy, Bossa. <laughs> uh, not a bad signing trade at all. Yeah, I think this is just, you know, like you're spending a lot of money, and like you look at that starting lineup of Tyus, K., uh, Sadiq, Bagley, and A.N., and, uh, you know, you see some upside. But just from a, a, a death standpoint, like, I don't love it as much. And, uh, you know, like I said a few times on this pod already, but just uh, investing money in Aiton, you know, paying them what, you know, it's probably going to take to get them. I think you're kind of tying yourself into a player who is pretty good, but is he a guy that's really uh, going to be worth the money when you are in the playoffs? And then you're in a scenario where, uh, you know, like just how movable is that contract, uh, you know, kind of makes you wonder. Phoenix did not want to commit to this guy. So like kind of what's going on underneath the surface that makes you wonder, is it just Phoenix being Phoenix or like what's going on? There's reported about him saying they're playing video games all night, which, you know, he's like 23 years old. Like guys are going to play video games, but if it's a, a problem, then yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm the, the, the negative. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't hate this off season, but it does feel like this. It feels like more of a forward. Like we kind of want to compete a little bit more now off season than some of the other off seasons, but All right, so speaking of competing now, let's take the opposite approach, Wes, for these final two just general topics. Omari and I aren't going to go the positive-negative. Wes is going to introduce just a couple general ideas for off-seasons, and then Omari will just give our thoughts. So, Wes, introduce the first one that is the opposite of competing this season. Yeah, so we got a lot of submissions with both of these, but the, the first one was actually finding a way to tank again next season so anyway you know you could send out some uh some younger guys or even just eat cap space to get picks back find a way to punt on next season get high in the draft again and then try and go in all in next year so what do you guys think about doing something like that real quick amari richard suddenly you sent in one and we appreciate the support but you made a comment in your tweet that we were no way we were going to mention that on the pistons pulse because we would have been canceled immediately because of what you put in that tweet so do not bring that up again that is bad juju around (laughs) the franchise player but omari what do you think about possibly punting or tanking on the season this is my beat writer brain <laughs> kind of tanking over. It's kind of hard for me to answer like punt or tank because I don't think teams go into off seasons with the expectation that they will punt or tank. Like if you get to March and you're not going to make the playoffs, obviously that teams will begin to wind guys down, save them for the off season. And, you know, obviously they're looking at the ladder, you know, like they like, you know, it's pretty obvious what teams are doing when they start to sit their best players, you know, after, after all-star break. But, uh, I mean, my expectation that the Pistons will go into the next season the same way they win the last season, which is, you know, we're going to compete. And, you know, if we're not good, then we'll make decisions in March or whatever. But, like, I just – I don't think they're going to go into next season with the mindset of, like, we're just going to punt this entire season. Like, okay, he's playing 20 minutes a game, like, whatever. And uh, I still, like, personally don't think that they should, should do that case in the second season. Uh, you know, like, uh, Sadiq, Isaiah, Kelly, and those guys are going to be in year three. And – like you want to build a, a winning culture, and only way to do that is to compete to win. Now, if you compete and you're not good enough, you're still losing anyway. Like last season, then that's kind of the best of both worlds because you're still empowering guys to play to the best of their ability. 
but in in general, like, I just don't think it makes sense for teams to go into any season with the expectation that like we're just going to lose a lot of games. Uh, you know, I think especially for this Pistons team, they talk a lot about wanting to build the right culture and whatnot. Uh, you know, guys do get tired of of, of of losing. Like you kind of wonder, okay, if we go into this off season, like season, and we're not preaching the right message, you know, like do guys get demoralized? Like what kind of happens there? So. Uh, yeah, I mean it's kind of hard to answer because I, you know, I don't, I don't think teams necessarily, you know, think in that mindset. Like they may do some things in March to, you know, affect the outcome a little bit. But uh, I expect the Pistons to go into next season uh, not with a playoff mandate, but like we're going to compete hard, and you know, whatever happens, happens. But I think you should always try to compete, like no matter where you are in a rebuild. Yeah, I think I, I don't have any interest in tanking on purpose for Victor Wimbignana, like any of that stuff. I realize Scoot Henderson, all these names in the 2023 draft that people are excited about. I get it. I understand. I don't have any interest in purposely tanking to get another top three, top five pick, whatever it is. Now, if the Pistons and Troy Weaver strike out in free agency or Weaver just says, hey, Aiton's not worth a max. Brunson's not worth $25 million. Sexton's not worth $20 million. And then you want to get involved in taking on a bad contract for future assets. I would be a little bit more in on something like that. Only if it's like, hey, we don't have a guy to spend the cap space on otherwise, like almost as a plan B type thing or plan A because you don't like any of the other possible plan A's. So I would be okay with that. Wes, let's introduce the very last one. And just real quick here, I don't want to say one word or one sentence answer, Amari, but your thoughts, because we got a lot of these. Essentially, it's these two guys, and that's what the Pistons need to do. Yeah, a lot of people, whatever they do, it doesn't matter as long as they get Jaden Ivey at five and DeAndre Ayton in the offseason. So any any way that you can do it, that that's what they want. So what do you guys think about that, Amari? Yeah, I mean, if you could get Ivy at five, then, yeah, from an upside standpoint, you know, that might be the best-case scenario. You know, I know there's been a lot of talk about Shannon Sharp as, like, an upside guy, but just, you know, I've seen Jaden Ivy play basketball, so, you know, that kind of means a little bit more to me, you know, even if, you know, I'm not necessarily seeing some of the comparisons people made as far as, like, John and whatnot. Like, I think you draft him with the mindset that you're going to put the ball in K's hands more, and uh, Jaden Ivey's got the ball in his hands too, obviously, as the game flows, but he's probably going to have to figure some things out as far as improving as a shooter. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you get Aiton and Ivey, I think that's obviously a good offseason. Uh, I see one person mention Aiton and Ivey without losing Grant, and that might be a little bit more of a pipe dream just because if I'm Phoenix and I'm looking at Detroit's roster, I don't see how I give up Aiton without getting Grant. Like, that's just the bottom line for me. Yeah, I mean, if if you get Ivy at five and then, you know, you're able to sign and trade for DeAndre Ayton, uh, that's a very clear uh, overall talent upgrade. And then also getting another guy in Ivy who could potentially become uh, that, that key piece along with Kate. So uh, not a whole lot to criticize there. Yeah, I mean, I think the eight and sign and trade has become very divisive for Pistons fans, maybe NBA fans in general, in terms of what is it actually going to take? Who has the control? Who has the power? Who has the leverage in that scenario? And and I'm with you, Amari. I think it's going to take it, you know, Jeremy Grant and then obviously matching contracts. I think, you know, Jaden Ivey at five, I think he's number one on my Pistons board um, at number five of, of who's probably realistic. I think he is realistic, maybe not probable, but realistic with Ben Matherin right behind him. And then I'm with you. I think DeAndre Ayton, I think I would give DeAndre Ayton max money. I just don't know that I love then everything else you're going to have to give up to acquire him, including some of that cap space that we all talk about because of the base salary rule in a sign and trade. So uh, I would be fine with it. I don't know that I'm in, as adamant about it as, you know, Anthony Bellino, CJ Marchesani, Richard Stamen, Nathan Grubel, some of those guys were as well as others. So this was a lot of fun. Got through a lot of these. We were hoping we were going to be able to get through all of them. But we do still have some general mailbag questions. So after this short break, we'll dive into those. All right. Hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor, and you say, hey, this is Carlos Mars, and I'll go. And then we'll go back. You want, you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. You ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares. And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, Probably more food. 
arts, culture, sports, TV, movies, you name it. If it's happened in Detroit, we're going to talk about it. And sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything. But we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories, folks from the sports world. We're going to be out every Thursday. You can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We hope you'll join us. All right, guys, we're back. And um, I also got some general mailbag questions from you all, uh, which we will just dive right into. Uh, the first one from Scott Hill, uh, our guy Scott. Uh, after Jeremy Grant, who was the Pistons most likely to be traded? He asked two questions, so we'll start with that one. Uh, I'm going to go Kelly Olenek. Uh, I mean, he's a very useful vet. You know, he spaces the floor as a five, uh, just very thoroughly proven. And then, uh, you know, I believe he has a, a team option on the, the third year of his deal. Uh, so he signed a three-year deal last hey, year. It's non-guaranteed. Or, or there's, there's like three million guaranteed or something like that. Yeah. Or like, yeah. So, you know, I think a, a, a team that, uh, you know, you trade them for, you can kind of do it with, you know, the expectation that like, you know, you can not pick up that option and then, uh, or just not bring them back, you know, for that 23, 24 season and you save some money, obviously. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's only so many guys on this, on this team that, you know, have trade value that also are not part of like the young core or whatever it may be. Uh, so Kelly Olenek to me is a pretty uh, easy choice there. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but Bryce. Yeah, I think it's probably Kelly Olenek. I think the one, if I had to ask another one, I I think Killian Hayes is one of the top two or three in this discussion. And it's not me personally disliking Killian Hayes. It's not me giving up on Killian Hayes. I just wonder, I could see an offseason and a draft where all of a sudden, I don't want to say he becomes expendable, but where that guard room gets a little bit tighter. Are you going to give him the minutes? And I just wonder if this eventually becomes a situation where, all right, let's let Killian go somewhere else. Even for Killian's sake, maybe he needs a change of scenery in the way Marvin Bagley III needed a change of scenery. I don't think the Pistons are there yet, but if it's not looking good through 50 games leading up to the trade deadline during the season – I don't think it's crazy that Killian Hayes got moved or if Killian Hayes ends up being a guy attached to another trade. Yeah, and I guess the thing with Killian is that you probably have to attach him to a larger trade. Agreed. I, you know, if yeah, he's, agreed. If he's, if he's not working out, you know, I, 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 kind of, I, like, I question what you could get for him. Sure. Uh, you know, like if I'm a team and I've seen three years of Killian, he's not playing that well. You know, do I give up a first-round pick for him? Probably not. Uh, and it's kind of a scenario where if you're the Pistons, it almost – you know, if unless you're Why just give him up for a second rounder, yeah, like unless you're just completely out on them, it almost makes more sense to just bring him back and uh, you know, give him another year to figure it out. Like, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think of just all the young core guys, like, yeah, maybe the odds are highest for Killian to get moved, but it's just hard to trade young players in the NBA and get good value back for them if they're not like a star level player already. And even in that case, why would you, you trade them, right? So, uh, yeah, like I think Killian is probably more likely than a guy like a Sadiq or an Isaiah, but uh, I just have a hard time coming up with a trade that makes sense for both the Pistons and another team where both teams feel like they're getting equal value back. Next question. As a reporter, what is your favorite part of the year? We're months away from the season, and I feel like I've already consumed everything there is to consume about the draft prospects, free agents, and potential trade targets. I'm so ready to get past the speculations and just sit back and watch some Detroit basketball. Uh, I think the favorite time of the year for me is like once you get to the draft and then it's like draft free agency, like a lot of things are happening at once, a lot of change. It's, it's stressful because, you know, like you're <laughs> bringing your phone into the shower with you in case like deals happen or whatnot. But um, yeah, and then like going into summer league, I think that whole month is just kind of like like the off season, like kind of what the off season is about. Um, you know, and you see the team go through a lot of change and, you know, fans are hyper engaged, wondering what the moves mean. Uh, and then of course you go into summer league and, you know, something like summer league is always fun just being able to, you know, meet and mingle with people and, uh, you know, watch the, the, the young guys get on the court for the first time. Uh, so I would say that like, that's up there for me. And then I would also like say like the beginning of the season, like sort of like that training camp going into preseason and whatnot, where like we just spend so much time talking about stuff kind of, you know, like as the question mentioned, we talk about stuff, we, you know, spend stuff for it, like yada, yada, cause you have to. Uh, and then all that stuff begins to be replaced with like actual basketball. And I think that's always fun just to kind of see how these pieces fit, like what direction the team's going and whatnot. So 
maybe broadly, I would just say like that period from like the draft until like uh, no, no November or so. So that's like a five month span. But like, I think that's the most fun because after a while, then you get into the regular season and, uh, you know, for a rebuilding team, like the Chris are going to lose and, uh, you know, and things can get a little monotonous after a while. But that's the part that's the most exciting. Yeah, I mean, when this team is good, I feel like the season is going to be a little better, right? Like the last two years, you could tell there was a little bit of steam at the beginning of the season and then it wore off. This team was pretty decent post All-Star break, obviously. So that helped a little bit. But like if this team is competing for the playoffs and in the playoffs, that end of the season, I'm not saying this next season, but in general, when they get there, that stuff has to be exciting. You, have you been through a playoff season where the Grizzlies making the playoffs? So you haven't been through a playoffs no, yet. No, yeah, the Grizzlies, uh, yeah, I, I, I covered them right when they, uh, you know, they, they took Jaron like that previous year and then they traded Mike and Mark and then they drafted Ja. So they were very much building kind of where they are now. So I, I've only cut, covered rebuilds. I've never covered a playoff team. So I guess we'll see if that changes in the next few years. Yeah, I mean, I just think that's got to be a fun time for a fan base, even for beat writers, just the excitement around everything. And I'll just say, like, I know people maybe are getting tired of talking about these draft prospects and free agency and whatever, but, like, this is what we're doing. Like, I see people complain about it sometimes. I'm like, we're content creators. Maybe not you necessarily, Amari, but, like, for me, I'm like, I'm a content creator. This is what I do. I need the Pistons link to every possible free agent. So I have somebody to talk about on podcasts. So I have somebody to break down film on, you know, the NBA draft stuff. Like, if not, then what are we doing? We can't take two months. I don't want to take two months off. I love basketball. I love talking about it every single day. I think I annoy you guys because I constantly text you guys and like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Like, I just want to talk hoops all day long. And so... Yeah, it does get tough, but you know what? In August, we're going to be complaining because we have nothing to talk about because it's the dog days of summer league is over, free agency is over, and we're waiting for the regular season. Yeah, we're, we're going to do a, a, a sheet and sham pot that's just like 60 minutes of it, so get ready, guys. <laughs> yes, it, it, it'll probably hit. That might be the best episode we do. So right, one man. more question here, Omari, and then we'll let the listeners go. This is from Andrew Cohn, and we have a few of these about the NBA draft in general. We're going to save a couple for next week's episode, but we did want to touch on this one. And he asked, judging from these past few drafts, and his track record as a whole, going back to Oklahoma City, which player at number five do you think is most, quote-unquote, a Troy Weaver guy, both on and off the court? Yeah, fans are going to hate this answer. Uh, but Keegan Murray, like he is <laughs> just, uh, like you just look at the types of guys that they've drafted, you know, as far as just being like high upside, high character guys who like work hard. And uh, like Keegan checks a lot of those boxes. Like he was, you know, extremely productive last season. Uh, you just talk to him at the combine and clearly he's just, very smart. Uh, you watch him play and very, like he's a very high IQ guy. Like he, he does the things he's good at and doesn't do anything he's bad at. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think there's a few guys who kind of fit that uh, answer, but to me, like, I, like I think the reason why the Pistons like Keegan so much is just because he is, he just checks the boxes that they like in uh, draft prospects. And I don't think they're as worried about him being 22 when the season started, you know, there's like a long list of reasons why they, they, they like him, but uh, I think I think Keegan's kind of cut from the same mode as guys like Isaiah Sadiq K. You know, he comes to the locker room, he's going to fold right in, he's going to work hard, and you don't have any questions about his character. And uh, the Pistons value character a lot because you kind of need those high character guys when the losses are pile, piling up, and you need guys that are mature and can see the big picture and still come to work every day. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel pretty comfortable saying it's Keegan. Yeah, I think I would agree. If you made me answer before you, I probably would have said Keegan Murray. I think Benedict Matherin is as well, at least on the court, the way he plays, his play style. I think he's going to fit Detroit in terms of he plays hard. He plays with an attitude and an intensity that would fit really well with Sadiq and Isaiah Stewart. I don't know. You didn't get an interview. Murray was the only interview out of these guys, right? Obviously not Shaden Sharp. You didn't get an interview Ben Math or Jaden Ivey, correct? We talked to Ben Math, uh, okay. but no, but they're the only guys we talked to that were really in, in sort of the Pistons range were Keegan and and Ben, ben Math. I would say, and, and here when we say, at least when I'm saying character, and I think Amari as well, we're not saying they're like bad dudes, but I do think there's a little bit more stuff with Jaden Ivey in terms of fitting into a locker room and those type of things. And then definitely with Shaden Sharp. And I've talked to people who maybe it's not Shaden Sharp's fault. Maybe it's his quote unquote handlers, the, the you know, whoever got their grips on him and they're telling him, hey, don't work out. Hey, don't do this. Hey, don't do that. And I've heard maybe he's kind of just a reserve kid. And so he's just taking the instructions from from those people. But do you think there's maybe a little bit more of that with those two guys? 
or is it just Murray is is above them? It's not necessarily a negative for a guy like Ivy or Sharp. I mean, maybe a mix of both, but you know, like there's some stuff with Ivy, like we, you know, like we we've had people on the pod who evaluate the, the draft, and they've kind of talked about some of the things they've heard about Ivy as far as like how comfortable we be without the ball in his hands, because you know, if, if he is a um, if he's going to be on a good NBA team, he's not going to have the ball in his hands twenty four seven. We've got to have to knock down those outside shots and whatnot, and. Uh, yeah, like there's some some stuff. Like I don't think they're like bad character guys by any means, but uh, yeah, and then you heard the stuff about Shane and Sharp, uh, and they look at Keegan, and I mean, you know, he's just a basketball player. <laughs> you know, you haven't heard anything that could, could be construed as a, a negative at all. So I would like I, I would agree with that for sure. It's not necessarily Keegan being above and beyond, but he's just very very clean. We didn't even come close to getting to all of them. You know, our apologies to everybody whose question we didn't get to. If we, if we forgot to say your name before we did the out, you know, offseason plan or the question, apologize. But there was a ton of submissions. We appreciate it so much. Big thanks to everybody who we did use and everybody who we didn't. We, again, thank you and we really appreciate it. We can't do these episodes without your guys' contribution to the podcast. So thank you so much. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed this as much as us. Omari, take it home, my guy. Yeah, uh, this is probably the longest outline we had because we had so many submissions. So uh, big thanks to everybody again, and we'll definitely get to some of these in the future. Uh, so thanks to our editor, Carrie Jr. Second, our executive producer, Antoinette Delgado, and our other executive producer, Kirkland Crawford. And then also shout out to Wes, uh, who we've been getting them on the pod a little bit more. So maybe we can keep the string going and see where the pod takes us. So again, thank you, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week.